0: of our pictures we sort of convey I guess the values that we hold as a as a practice and I think that we we sort of do that fairly intuitively that then leads to is that we we become aligned with clients who have shared interests Mm. or common interests and so that's one sort of natural
1: outcome almost of the way that Mm. we we just tend to do that welcome back for the last episode in 2019 We finish up the year with the final episode between Megan Dwyer, Principal John Wardle Architects, and host Isabel Tolland, Director at Aileen Sage Architects. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures, and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organizations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. And now, Isabel and Megan conclude their conversation.
2: Thinking about disruption in our industry, Mm. have there been any any significant shifts in the management of project delivery of the practice over time in terms of tools that you currently employ now that you maybe didn't previously? We now have a
0: plethora of software that we use and you know, increasingly we're moving into video and animation and virtual reality, Mm -hmm. digital fabrication. So we work in a much more fluid way with technology than we did when I first joined. It requires a an ability I guess to to navigate technology in a fairly intuitive way I feel that we're we're often sort of encountering new platforms or new software systems very frequently and so Mm. sort of about sort of jumping in and having a go and figuring out how to how to use it whereas perhaps even 10 years ago we might have thought more about having sort of formal training in a system before Mm. we would use it so I think yeah today it's sort of about jumping in and testing and Exploring and and retaining the processes or, or or platforms that we think are
2: working for us. And are you employing people now in, with particular skills that you wouldn't have previously really considered as part of the practice? Beyond, say, architects yes, or interior yeah, designers,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, perhaps a bit in the technology space, mm. um, but again, that we probably see that you know our practice of inviting others in is the opportunity to bring in those um, skill sets rather than necessarily hiring um, ourselves. We're very op- we remain open minded about that because I just think that. We're seeing such rapid change that we might think differently about this in 12 months' time, for example. Yeah, exactly
2: mm. true. So how is the leadership team at JWA preparing to take advantage of the changes in the industry and ensure they remain one of the most successful businesses?
0: Oof, I wish there was a
2: um,
0: <laughs> a crystal ball for this one. Do you know, I think that we've got a real scent for things, for patterns of change, let's say, and so we, we're often reflecting on industry or briefs or whatever it might be to kind of observe patterns of change. and in some ways uh, I can see the practice kind of moving with the change that we're that we're seeing. So um, for example where we have some experience in prefabrication and we're um, we're working with timber construction at the moment and we're seeing shifts in procurement and so we're just
2: kind of navigating that change along with uh, industry to to some extent. Are they perhaps tied in with your initiatives around sustain, sustainability too within the industry or like environmental, sort of a, a more environmentally conscious approach as well to practice um, and innovation or how innovation perhaps might play into that? Yeah. So,
0: I mean, through that, we're sort of learning about different rating tools and different systems. We're just finishing off our first um, Passive House and there's a lot of learnings, technical learnings around uh, how to achieve the objectives of Passive House we often sort of um, talk about, you know, future practice as, you know, what, what where will practice move to and, and where is the change taking us? Uh, so it's sort of foremost in our minds and, and we, we're just taking good account of, of the things that we do that are part of that change.
2: As quite a large practice now, do you kind of feel a sense of responsibility too, to be part of this momentum of change? Do you know, I think it's uh, required in order to stay relevant, mm.
0: actually, and so navigating that change is just really
2: important to to staying in business actually Mm. yeah Mm. and are you finding it difficult say to educate your clients to kind of come along that journey with you to take um more sort of make more responsible decisions too within our industry and how we operate as well collectively Yeah. um, I mean, some of the change is from that
0: direction, let's Mm. say. And, you know, we've just seen, um, for example, the way they're procuring architectural services and the way construction is being procured has, has changed enormously in the last 20 years and so you know there's in victoria at the moment the institute is having a, a very sort of deep review of um, the circumstances around novation um, and, and novation is sort of driven often by client and for architects that, that it can make it very challenging to meet our obligations for say quality and so we do like to talk to our clients about those kinds of changes too.
2: In 2014, you participated in the London um, and Global Cities Planning, Governance and Design at the London School of Economics with Ricky Burdett, the Director of Cities and Urban Age and a professor at that school. What was that experience like for you and did it result in any uh, strategies that you put in place in in JWA um, as a result of that experience?
0: I've got to say that was a fantastic experience. It was um, the the student cohort... Just came from across the world, and in fact, I think I was the only architect. So there were many people from other disciplines who were engaged in sort of managing or or building the creating the built environment. We had a couple of politicians, one from Canada, one from uh, Nigeria. Uh, we had people who were um, experienced in sort of smart technologies and interested in the application of that to cities. We had a transport planner from um, Brazil, really, really diverse um, cohort, which was just wonderful in itself. Mm. Um, and we reflected on London as a case study. And London, of course, has changed enormously over the last sort of 10 or 15 years mm. uh, with lots of new development and the the King's Cross development in particular mm-hmm. um, was a focus of ours. And we also had a lot of really fantastic speakers who were, in, who were involved in – and we had sort of someone from Transport of London and some someone from the City of London. So we really got to understand how that city is being – developed I guess um, from a whole lot of different viewpoints and then we had the reflections from a whole lot of different perspectives within the student cohort Mm. for me it was you know it was parallel to architecture it wasn't um, strictly um, an architectural sort of experience Mm. but it was so valuable just in terms of really understanding built environment more generally you know cities and urban environments have been a, a long interest of mine ever since university and so for me it's a it's a continuation of that interest in yet another way that I've been able to sort of deepen my understanding, I suppose. So for me, it's kind of, a, you know, a professional development sort of opportunity. And I think as we've grown as a practice, we've we've moved from doing smaller projects into to projects that have more influence in creating our cities. And so mm. we've sort of developed a, a deeper understanding about what that means and, and what the, the possibilities are. And this is not just my point of view, it's it's shared across um, across the team, but you know, we often talk about the importance of civic generosity and where we can making a really um, positive contribution back to the public realm. Yep. And
2: so I think that is a, um, something that is at the core of our work. You seem to have had quite a strategic approach as a practice to the types of clients that you work with. Was that quite a calculated strategy or did it happen more organically? With a lot of our pitches, we
0: sort of convey I guess the values that we hold as a as a practice and I think that we we sort of do that fairly intuitively that then leads to is that we we become aligned with clients who have shared interests mm. or common interests and so that's one sort of natural outcome almost of the way that we mm. we just tend to do that I mean when we like um, every other architectural practice we do compete for work and for the most part and when we're thinking about what kinds of opportunities um, we might like to pursue, we do we we reflect on many things, and that can sort of be uh, value based as well. But it might also be the site, or the the available budget, or the, the opportunity to work with a particular client. So there there are many ways that we sort of I guess many things that lead us to working with particular clients.
2: Mm. So it's more like you're deciding which projects you want to take on rather than clients choosing you necessarily, a little bit, or perhaps kind of both. A little bit of both, yeah, yeah.
0: because we certainly can't just choose outright. No. (laughs) Wish we could.
2: (laughs) Say for residential projects, with this idea of perhaps discretion on what you take on, are there any particular criteria that you take into consideration when, you know, you're thinking about taking on a project if someone does approach you? I guess we, as a larger practice, we
0: have to think about that differently as than if we were a smaller practice. Mm. Uh, and so we do regularly sort of pass on uh, recommendation, recommendations to other smaller practices if we don't feel that we can take on a particular project. Um, that's something that we've done for a very long time now. We um, haven't done a residential renovation, for example, for yes. a very long time. Yeah. Um, we do still get calls about that, but right. um, we would pass those on. But, you know, as I just touched upon earlier, we would usually have a fairly broad uh, assessment, I suppose, about an opportunity. So there's no hard and fast sort of rule about mm. um, anything really, but it, it's perhaps almost more about a sort of constellation of things that that uh, characterise a particular project and we would sort of try to reflect on on a number of things really.
2: Yeah, fair enough. So, do you see the practice specialising in any particular areas? I suppose, we, as we discussed previously, that um, you know a lot of the projects that you work on have this crossover and this fact that even your residential projects or the way you deliver and think about or conceive about those uh, those residential projects also feeds into your other much larger projects. Um, what do you? What would you say is the, the kind of specialisation of um, the practice?
0: Um, well, you know, we really love a new challenge. And so I think that's sort of what has in a way driven us to to work as broadly as we, we do at the moment. I think that we're seeing a lot of sort of blurring between typologies at the moment. We've certainly, you know, if you reflect on, say, the last 10 years, and you think about the libraries that we've done, we've just seen enormous change in that typology alone. But I actually think that we're seeing then um, a lot of blurring between our typologies now. So, um, Particularly, I guess, with this focus that we seem to have around precincts at the moment, where we're mm. we're bringing universities and and government government and sort of industry partners together to create urban environments, and I, I think that there are you know even if we think about say the future of work, there's a lot of discussion around how that's changing too. Mm. So yes, I think it's sort of up for grabs a little bit at the moment, and it's a really interesting time, and I think that this is one. Sort of area of rapid change that we sort of need to keep tabs on because Mm. it's yes, moving yeah Yeah. along
2: quite different trajectories than we've seen before. Are you being quite proactive as a practice in as you mentioned? You know there are government organisations and private commercial entities, and there's this an institutional. Kind of educational uh, institutions that are being involved to uh, in the development of precincts, you know, collaboratively and working together. Have you um, also been quite active in bringing all of these different threads together? Because I, th- I guess often, you know, um, the hazard is that various uh, parties don't really communicate so well with each other. How do you see your role in this kind of um, mm. complex web? <laughs> mm,
0: uh, well, look, we we're f- fortunate in that because we have been working walk- working fairly broadly, we've got you know an understanding of how the different sort of actors work, I suppose, yeah. and we've got quite good networks there mm. too. So we, to some extent, we we sort of can contribute that way. We can sort of suggest about how things might work spatially, uh, and and we 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 also have the ability to sort of put people together a little bit too. So. Yeah, we, we feel like we do have quite a bit to offer there. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. And have you found clients quite open to you being very engaged in that kind of conversation of how to knit all of these things together rather than, you know, being too directive?
0: Yeah. Look, we've had a couple of clients that traditionally would sort of work in the commercial sector who mm. have, who've who have come to us to understand more about the university sector, for example, and they've yep. appreciated hearing, you know, about our sort of experience and knowledge there. And that has sort of led to a recognition that we can straddle these two um, areas and and positioned us well to kind of join teams and things. So, yeah, I think that's um, working for us at the moment.
2: What projects out of the projects that you're currently working on are you particularly excited or passionate about?
0: Do you know, we were recently appointed as the architects for the Bendigo Law Court. So Bendigo is a, I don't know if you know it, but it's a beautiful regional city about two hours from melbourne that has a it was built with money from the gold rush and so it it's a victorian city by and large and it's quite beautifully intact it has a the existing sort of road pattern and and a lot of the civic buildings were actually built in victorian times too so it's it's quite a beautiful context to work in and the court uh the law court building is a typology that's undergoing uh change too it's sort of operating under new service models we've we're, we're what they call a multi-jurisdictional court. So we're bringing together Supreme County Magistrates, Children's, um, VCAT. We're bringing together a number of jurisdictions into the one building. Uh, and there's also a recognition that the kind of authoritarian style of architecture that Victorian courthouses are characterised by is no longer relevant to contemporary justice and so there's this really interesting conversation around what should a what should the the architecture of a court building say about the rule of law in society and that it is interesting to see that there's there is sort of genuine engagement in understanding this kind of spatial qualities of of um, this particular uh, project. Um, really fascinating,
2: yeah. Great. Mm. You mentioned before that a lot of your projects are won through competition. What's your view on this kind of competition process of of procurement and do and you have to be quite careful as a practice uh, about what competitions you do take on and how many? And... Mm. Um, we, we often say that a, a very good
0: form of procurement of our services would be through a An assessment of our design approach and methodology, Um, not necessarily past experience, but just Mm. what we would bring to a given project. And I think that that that, that can be very productive in terms of a client really coming to understand what, you know, different practices might offer them. Mm. Um, But it's also just with less uh, sort of investment without compensation. And I think that ongoing for the profession, that's a really um, serious consideration that we need to mm. to have, that we need to be sort of protecting our our endeavours really and and, yes. and seeking appropriate kind of compensation for, for mm. the effort that we put in. Mm.
2: Yeah. It's a tricky thing too, I guess, where the competition sort of field is not just public buildings but also for private commercial buildings and the competition process has been set up for a particular reason in that sense where it's um. Where it overlaps with commercial drivers or certain um, concessions that can be made for, for instance, the achievement of design excellence and that kind of thing, um, which I, you know, is 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 overall a very kind of positive thing for the for our cities, let's say. But then, yes, as an industry, as you say, mm. we have to be mindful about how we deliver these things where we're being asked to deliver a, a lot and not being sufficiently compensated for that process, and who benefits in mm. the end too. Mm. I suppose the competition process, though, was to try and benefit equally the public domain. Mm-hmm. So there are, I, I think, there are kind of interesting drivers there that but, that makes it very complex. But as an industry too, how we can sustain that involvement and still maintain kind of this. Um I guess uh, focus on on improvement of the public domain too, whilst still you know acknowledging that there are you know particular commercial benefits that someone's benefiting from. Yeah, <laughs> as well, yes, often, um, yeah, and how that kind of gets balanced, yeah, <laughs> as a whole yep. as a city too. Yeah,
0: yep. And I, I mean, I wonder if the sort of design review panels that are being put in place more and more today are an alternative way of thinking about that. Mm. Are you involved much in design panel review processes? Yes, we we would find that um, a lot of our public projects are reviewed by the Office of the Government Architect. Mm-hmm. Um, Bendigo Law Courts, for example, is yep. about to have its second review. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, we find those to be really uh, productive actually. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that th- their perspective is very much about um, creating a better public realm. Yes. And um, th- that's possibly... Um, that is possibly a, a better way to do it. And, you know, it's at a, at a time when, you know, in a competition, there's not often the opportunity to engage with the client and to to discuss their brief or to really, yep. beyond the, the written brief that we receive, there's not mm-hmm. the opportunity to really discover more or to under, understand the program as well as we we would through conversation and that in a way is a sort of shortfall of the competition process and I think there is the opportunity to have those deep conversations as part of a design review
2: panel. That's great and I think that's great that you have that attitude too as a practice to see them as very, very more like a beneficial opportunity to have those discussions and often, you know, there are things where architects are kind of pushed into certain um places or by their clients, let's say, and I guess that's an opportunity for external people to kind of have a say and Mm. and assist in that kind of conversation that may have been difficult to otherwise kind of convince your client of independently. Yes, yeah, Yeah. that can be very helpful. Mm. Are there any particular projects that you worked on that maybe didn't go ahead for any particular reason and didn't progress beyond concept design stage that you would particularly love to see realised? Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that it does happen because
0: uh, the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music, which we just completed in February of this year, was in the practice for probably a decade um, before that. And it was something we held on to really tenaciously. Initially, we were just asked to do a um, very quick render and model, cardboard model for the Vice-Chancellor to take to lunch with the the minister, Federal Minister for Education. And that was, I think, in 2007. Right. Um, and following that, we did do um, a couple of uh, different business cases for the university as they contemplated different configurations of the project. And eventually, they did find the funding and they took it to a, a competition, design competition, which we were very fortunate to when we did try very hard. And so for us that was a a project that we sort of uh, we always reflected on as being a once in a lifetime opportunity, really. love to do it again, mind you. Mm. And we just we just sort of held on to it and yeah. thought, you know this could happen one day and and really, stayed with it sort of very closely and that did come to um, bear. So it, it does happen. I mean one that we have on the books at the moment is what we call the March Wheel Estate, which is a, a project that we've um, we're doing with uh, David Walsh and it's for a sort of its boutique accommodation in on the coast of uh, Tasmania that will include a cooking school um, and a number of other things about uh, incredible bathhouse. And so we're very hopeful that that one will come to bear as well. Yeah, so there's normally – I mean, it's there, probably one or two others but can't talk about those. Right. <laughs> um, but it it is um, – it's not unusual for us to have a, a couple of projects like that, that that we would dearly like to see eventuate. And, you know, we, we always offer to advocate for them, whether yep. it's with fundraising activities or mm. government or what have you. And, yeah, we will we, we'll sort of bring what influence we
2: can to those. Yeah. Mm. so onto some questions that we regularly ask our guests what is it that you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting
0: out well do you know when I reflect on my own career pathway I do see on one hand I've worked very hard but on the other hand I've also had some good fortune in sort of being perhaps in the right place at the right time and I think it is, and then observing sort of other younger architects come into the profession, I can see that finding a career path uh, can be very challenging. And I often say to young architects that it's very important to kind of think deeply about the kind of architect you want to be and what kind of contribution you want to make um, as an architect. And that's often sort of really value-based. I think it's, you know, what kind of world do you want to live in and Mm. how can you contribute to making that? And I think that if you can connect with that – that you're you're more likely to find the right uh, career path Uh, you'll sort of be attuned to the environments that kind of resonate with you and you can kind of step into those and then
2: um, see where that might take you what do you consider to have been your greatest challenge in your career so far and what did you learn from that well, look, I think for me it's not
0: necessarily the, the creative or the technical, it's actually learning how to navigate complexity and I think as architects we're so often sort of aligning planets or, you know, to create the right environment for us to do our best work in requires that we manage a whole lot of other things, whether it's budget or program or, or what have you. That Yeah, so it's sort of navigating complexity in order to, to create the right circumstances for us to do our best
2: work. In terms of advice for a fledgling practice starting out in Australia, perhaps in terms of what you were mentioning, starting out in your career and trying to understand, is there anything around advice on approaching targeting clients, say, or, you know, setting up the business that you might kind of recommend?
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe you could think about that as you know the example I just gave of an architect making or giving deep thought to how they want to contribute and what kind of architect they want to be. Like perhaps that's equally important to a fledgling practice and that you're right from the start, you're sort of developing a portfolio of work that really reflects that deep thinking. And I can really appreciate that, that, you know, the need is often sort of just the next project because you're trying to sustain something that's um, perhaps quite fragile. Mm. But to really think from the outset about what kind of portfolio you're building from a perhaps a value, values
2: point of view is also really relevant to a, a young practice. So what do you consider to have been the greatest success of your career to date and what mm. have you learned from that?
0: Well, look, I think it would have to be, um, you know, where I am today. It's that I'm um, a director, one of four directors in this quite remarkable practice that has, has managed to sort of grow and change and mature in a really beautiful way. I guess what I've learned from that is uh, that you do sort of need to believe it can happen um, and you need to um, be prepared to take risks in order to make that happen. We're fortunate that
2: most of the risks we've taken have kind of uh,
0: have paid off mm. and we've been able
2: to grow the grow the practice. Are there any particular projects that you reflect on um, particularly fondly? You mentioned the Conservatory of Music. Mm. Is that a particular highlight for you in your career?
0: Absolutely. I, th- I think 10 years ago when we did that first, first piece of work, I think we probably, we, we, you know, we were excited to be doing just that, to be doing this cardboard model and this rendered image. And, you know, over that 10 year period where we sat with that uh, project, we, you know, in parallel probably developed the kind of um, expertise required to really deliver a project like that. So it was, it was sort of a, a very fortunate alignment of things for us, that that one particularly. We also were involved in doing some um, thinking around the Melbourne Arts Precinct, you know, all the way, well, going back to, say, 2012. And so we were able to kind of join this exercise where we were contemplating how that precinct um, could uh, develop and many of the ideas that we sort of contributed to that process are actually evident in the completed building too. So it's it kind of... For us, demonstrates a, a deeper engagement with that conversation about what um, what the city should be. Yeah, mm.
2: yeah, yeah. Interesting. I feel like uh, the conversation comes back a bit often to this idea of time and how patience <laughs> plays well, an important yeah. role in a good project. Maybe. Yeah. Yes.
0: Absolutely. And what I often think is that they had this extraordinary opening um, celebration for the conservatorium, and they um, there was a welcome to country. Sort of three o'clock in the afternoon, and then they threw the doors of the building open, and every level and every performance space was um, was packed with uh, the four hundred guests that they'd invited. Quite an extraordinary thing, and it's a moment like that where you can really appreciate the commitment that we've had over that period of time. But it's also incredibly encouraging when you might be at the start of a process, and um, we're just at the at the start of navigating complexity or or having that patience in order for for something to come to fruition and it, it, it they're always very timely it's it's almost as if you know a newborn baby smiles at just the right time for the parents to keep them yep. <laughs> keep them um yep. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so those those moments of celebration are really important to sustaining the belief i guess that it can happen yeah mm.
2: so now five in five i'll give you one word and if you could give us your off-the-cuff response as to what that word means to you success well, uh, for me, success is actually
0: about fulfilling purpose more than anything. And, you know, that that's close parallel to the sort of values discussion that I was having a bit earlier. But it's about realising those values. Mm. Gender equality? Oh, look, um, it's a long time coming. We're not quite there yet, but we have made some great progress. Disruption? the new normal i think that we, we discuss this uh, often actually that that we work in uncertain times and we need to get used to that because that is the way of the future we as far as we can see opportunity grab hold of it downtime very important uh and not to be squandered <laughs> great thank you i've really enjoyed
2: the
1: conversation today megan fantastic thank you very much delight to be here Thank you for sharing your story, Megan, and thank you, Isabel, for once again hosting the Business of Architecture and Design, also known as Bode. As we prepare for a small break, we'll be busy finalizing new episodes for 2020. We hope you'll join us in the new year to listen as more industry leaders such as Simon Pohl, Global Design Director Unispace, Angela Ferguson, CEO Future Space, and Chi Mellum, Director Sands Associates, share their stories with you. We'll also be delivering you some special episodes, for example, a three-way conversation between Steve Costa, Managing Director Hassel, Mark Lochnan, Principal Hassel, and Malcolm Redding, owner and chairman, Malcolm Redding Consultants, as they discuss in detail the state and future of competitions for the architectural industry. We'll also have some other episodes offering tips on specification, CPD points, and much, much more. The team at Niche Media, Australian Design Review, and Bode, We'd like to thank you for your support this year as we launched the Bode podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to rate and review us. And a final thank you to Zenith Interiors and Total Synergy for their support and belief in us. Without it, our podcast would not be possible. Please remember to support them in return. Visit the episode notes for links and more information. And finally, we would like to wish all of our listeners safe and happy holidays.